everybody. I want to welcome you to episode one. Um, This is episode one of the EI on the Fly podcast. It's a podcast about all things early intervention. Today, we're going to talk about what is functional assessment and why does it matter, which is a pretty hot topic across a lot of states in early intervention right now, and it certainly isn't in both of our states. So first, we're going to introduce ourselves, and then we'll jump right into our topic. So my name is Dana Childress. I work in Virginia. I'm one of our state's early intervention professional development consultants, so I work on our training team. Um, and I've also been an early interventionist for many years, so I have a kind of experience looking at assessment from a couple of different perspectives perspectives, certainly as a trainer, talking to people about what assessment should look like, um, also as a service provider and service coordinator, helping facilitate. And then I have a little bit of experience years ago receiving assessment when my son was in early intervention. So Emily, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. My name's Emily Webb, and I am the training coordinator for the Early Intervention Training Center here in Massachusetts. So here, my role now, I do a lot of professional development and kind of oversee the professional development that we offer to the field. But like um, Dana, I also have experience. I was a service coordinator, um, worked in the field, you know, providing home visits and also did some professional development for the program that I worked at. I also worked as an assistant director at a program and kind of most recently I do have a child who is currently enrolled in early intervention and I'm sure you guys will hear about her throughout um, our podcasts. Um, She went into early intervention around nine months and she is almost two and a half and still enrolled in EI. So that that's me. That's great. It's so great that you can share that, you know, and it's so current too. My son was in early intervention about 15 years ago, so I could otherwise say eons ago. Um, But there's some things that are very similar, some things that have changed over the time. And I think the idea of how to do good assessments pretty consistent and has always been something we've been working on. I know that's the truth in my state for sure. Yeah. So what are we going to do? What we're going to do today is we thought we'd just kind of get started since this is our first podcast episode to get um, our listeners oriented to early intervention and then talk about what functional assessment is and what it should look like. So early intervention is a program, um, federal program, that all states participate in right now. It's designed to support families who have infants and toddlers with developmental delays or disabilities. Um, Children qualify between the age range of birth to 36 months. So the program really focuses on helping families encourage the development of their children in the context of the things that they do every day. Services like occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, uh, services like the what I do um, as an educator are provided in families' homes or other places where children and families spend time. So, you know, services could be at the grocery store, at the local park, at the library, in a child care center. We pretty much go wherever children and families go because our goal is to help the caregiver learn ways to inter- engage the child every day that will encourage development. So as I said, all states have early intervention programs. Um, all programs should be using our field's recommended practices, um, following our mission and our key principles to provide high quality services. Um, we know that while we all know we should be doing them, implementing recommended practices sometimes is a challenge because there's so many variables in early intervention. But we're going to spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about that implementation piece. And um, this series will especially focus on implementing good assessment practices and making sure that get information you're gathering has a link to the child's functional abilities every day. 
So let's let's talk a little bit about functional assessment then. So as I said, it's a pretty hot topic. Um, it's something that I know in my state, we're doing a lot of focus on functional assessment right now. Some places you might have heard it called authentic assessment. Um, I don't know, Emily, what are you guys calling it in your state? Is it functional or authentic or do you have another name? We call it functional assessment here. Okay. And you know, I think there's a pretty big overlap between the two concepts. You know, whether it's you call it functional or call it authentic, the, the same ideas apply to both when you say I think they do apply to both. And I think no matter what you call it, it's much harder to actually do than it is to talk about. It's one of those things that we all understand it and we all know about it, but it's really hard to do in the day-to-day practice. I completely agree. And that's what we're hearing in our state too. It's one of those things like you know to do it, but then you get in the home and, or you could be in four or five different homes over the course of your day, do two or three assessments over the course of the week, and it might look different everywhere you go. So what we're going to talk about is really what it is, what it should be, why it's important and how to integrate functional assessment into your work. Chances are Anybody listening to this podcast, whether you're a new early interventionist or if you've been doing this for a while, you're probably already doing components of functional assessment. So we hope you'll do some reflection, give yourself some credit, um, but also be open to thinking about your practices and where you can grow because there's always ways to grow and adjust and adapt your practices as we learn more about how to do the best kind of early intervention. You got to be a lifelong learner if you want to do EI. Isn't that the truth? I always think about it like... I wouldn't want to take my child to a doctor who learned medicine 20 years ago and is still doing it the way he learned it 20 years ago. You know, you have to make that kind of commitment to keep growing because this field changes all the time. Absolutely. So let's um, let's start with defining functional assessment to make sure we're all on the same page. So Bagnato and Ho defined authentic assessment. Remember, that's the same thing for what we're talking about today with functional assessment as they called it the systematic recording of developmental observations over time about naturally occurring behaviors and functional competencies of young children in daily routines. And those those recordings are made by familiar and knowledgeable caregivers in the child's life. So there's lots of components to that definition that we're going to break down today. I would bet that um, early interventionists would hear this definition and agree and say, yep, that's what we should be doing or that's what I'm already doing. We know we should be observing development. We know we're watching for how children do the things they do every day in their natural environment. We know it's always best to observe multiple times because with anybody really, but especially with infants and toddlers, a single observation is just a snapshot and not necessarily representative of what a child can or can't do. Um, so we might struggle with the part about observations of, by fam- of observations by familiar people, because I always think about this one, because especially initially, we're not familiar to the child, but we still do initial assessment. And that's one I've often struggled with when we think about best practices for assessment. It's hard to get around around that one. But I think when you aren't the familiar, most familiar person in the room, that's when you take that time to warm up with the child, get to know the family. You know, that's always an important time in an assessment. I know that's something we talk about here in Virginia. Yeah, as you were just talking, I was thinking about like as a parent of a child in early intervention, and you kind of going over that definition, I was thinking like, this is really your opportunity to learn who my child is in my family. And like, how, how great is that, that, you know, you're going to come in and, and help us and support us and help me help her. 
and you you need to know who she is in the context of our family in order to really be able to do that. I think that's a great point because you can't separate a child from the context where she lives every day, her family, her environment, especially with little, little ones. I mean, that's how they learn. That's where they learn. So I think there's a balance between we might be strangers coming in to getting to know the child and the family. That initial assessment might be some of our first contacts. You're right. That's our first chance to get to know the child and the family. But we also have to remember even that, even if it's a two-hour assessment, it's still a snapshot, you know, so we don't always, especially initially, get to observe across time in multiple places, but that doesn't mean we can't do functional assessment at the initial assessment. So we're going to, we're going to spend some time digging into that in the podcast series and thinking about what would it, what would it look like when you're gathering that functional information, whether it's at the initial assessment or even ongoing assessment. So we'll tackle both throughout this series. So when we think about assessment, I think one of the challenges that comes up when you're thinking about the requirements of determining eligibility, we have to use an anchor tool. So I know in my state, tools we typically use might be the ELAP or the HELP. I believe you told me it was the Battelle in your state, Emily. Yep, we use the Battelle. Yep, so Battelle is even a little more formalized than what we require here in Virginia. But you might be, you know, you might be thinking, I have to use that tool. I have to score it. I have to follow the protocol of that tool. So how can I also gather functional assessment? So we're going to talk about that, how you can really combine the two to gather good information. Um, we know that more traditional, that more traditional formal testing is still required. But functional assessment can be done too. And and the functional assessment piece really comes in how you ask additional questions, make those good observations to connect what you learn more traditionally through the assessment tool to the child's abilities in everyday life. So both types of testing have their place in EI. And I think they're really more meaningful when done together. But it's a skill to learn to add to your toolbox to make sure your, your assessment has some depth beyond just what you're, you know, whether the child can stack blocks or not. Yeah, I th- I love what you said about like doing them together really makes it more meaningful. And and that is just so true. Like one is going to give you a lot of information and the other one is going to give you a lot of information, but when you really combine them and use all of that information to uh draw conclusions or make decisions going forward, plan for services, provide feedback, um it it just gives you so much more information to go on. You know, and I think one, they both help explain the other. You know, if you find a child can't do a discrete skill on a test, well, when you look at the rest of their daily life, sometimes you can find some clues to help you understand why they couldn't do this item and vice versa. If they can't do this item on the test, there might be, it might be reflected in what a child either struggles with or is trying to learn to do every day. So I think when it comes down to it, you've got to have a really good grasp of development and how it shows up in everyday life to, to merge functional and traditional assessment. And, and that's a skill a lot of us are always working on. So let's think about traditional testing for a minute and what does it look like? 
So imagine this. So an unfamiliar team of professionals meets at the family's home to observe the child, play with him using special toys or materials that we often bring to the home. So the child may not have ever seen one inch cubes or tiny beads before because the parent didn't offer them to him very understandably. Team members might ask parents lots of questions to gather information. They're going to score formal tests to determine the child's developmental age level, decide if the child qualifies for EI. And if he does, then this information, in addition to whatever we know from medical records, observations, maybe during the intake, um, all that's going to be used to begin writing the IFSP. So if you think about that situation, that sounds pretty different from the definition we talked about earlier. It's much more formal and there's much, it's much less about observing the child's functional abilities in everyday activities. Uh, the traditional is kind of a contrived setting. It's necessary, but it really only tells us so much. The um, examiner's manual in the BDI sort of describes that when you're doing the Battelle, you are evaluating a child's present level of functioning in a controlled setting. And I, and I think really that that is what we're talking about when we're talking about traditional testing. It's going to tell us how the child is doing when you place the block to the left and ask them, pick up the block, pick it up. You know, it's not going to give you the information about what does he do when you put Cheerios on his high chair? Right. Right. It doesn't, it, I think the test itself doesn't connect those dots, but I think it's the job of the practitioner to do that. Don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, that's where yeah. we take it further with that functional information. Absolutely. I can think of times with my son when he was little, that if somebody had taken a snapshot in that moment, I might not have wanted them to think that that was what he was able to do. You know, everybody has their moments when they're not so cooperative or when they don't shine their skills the way they do other times. Um, so you, you just, I, I think it's really hard to write a good IFSP without that additional information. Um, so let's think about that. So if a professional team member takes a functional assessment perspective, and I do think the functional assessment is a way of looking at assessment and gathering information, then that team member is going to check off the items on the formal test while still asking the questions and doing observation to see what the child can do separate from test items. So you're really looking at the big picture of how that child interacts with others, communicates, moves about, etc. So that team member is going to gather information that helps her translate test item information into what the results might mean for the child's everyday life. So let's think about an example. So if a child can't stack blocks or place pegs in a bottle, which are pretty common items on tests, this might help us to understand that he struggles with imitating others, or maybe it's motor planning. He's struggling with how to use objects together, uh, which that, so if a child is struggling with imitation or struggling with motor planning, that could help explain why the parents say he's throwing his toys all the time. So whether or not he can stack blocks only specifically matters for our test. Or, you know, if this is a game the family plays with him and they want him to be able to do, that becomes a little more functional. But generally, an item like stacking blocks just is a test item, but the test item tells us about the child's different abilities. Like, can he, does he have a controlled grasp and reliefs? Can he imitate? Does he know how to place, you know, combined toys together? So we really need to know the reason why the child can't stack the blocks. That's what really is important, and that's where functional assessment comes in. So as we said, functional assessment together with the more formal evaluation yields the best results, and that's how we get the most meaningful information. 
So that kind of leads us into what does research tell us about functional assessment? What what is the research saying? As a professional development person, I'm I'm always talking about what does the research say? And in the field of early intervention, there's a lot of research happening about infants and toddlers. So what does the research say? It says that it strongly suggests that functional assessment is more developmentally appropriate and it's going to gather more appropriate and valid assessment results for young children. So we really, we we do need to do these together. We know that um, for, you know, traditional assessment or evaluation tools, they have their place, but research is telling us that we also need to do this functional assessment part with it so that we can get some really good results. Um, and it's going to help us plan for that this idea of really individualized intervention and that, you know, we know all kids and families are different. All kids and families come from a different place. I, I even think about like my sister, she has two small children and we grew up in the same home and we had, you know, a lot of the same experiences and um, a lot of the same opportunities. But we raise our kids really differently because we're, we're, we're different families, you know, and we would, you know, even if our child had the same, you know, let's say both of our children had a motor delay, we would need interventions that were really individualized for our child and family, even if it was that same motor delay that we were looking at. So doing functional assessment is going to make your work more effective. For service coordinators, it's going to help you really learn about the family's strengths, um, what, what are their needs. It's going to help you to coordinate more individualized and appropriate services. And for service providers, it's going to help you learn about what the child really can do and what he needs to be able to do to participate and learn in his unique environment. And I think on some level, that's really, you know, what most parents really want is to make their child more successful in in their every day. There's nothing worse than not being able to go to the playground or not being able to get through a trip to the grocery store or not having your child be able to sit in a waiting room for lots of medical appointments. You, You want your kids to be successful in these things that we have to do every single day. I think that's such a great point. And Something that early interventionists, it's really helpful to keep that perspective that I would say most all families want the best for their kids. What the best looks like and what they want them to be successful doing is probably different from family to family, context to context, where families go, what's really important to them. But parents want the best for their kids. So it's on us through this kind of assessment, through gathering good information to find out what that is, what it would look like. And that's all the rich information we use to help us develop a good IFSP. Mm-hmm. So doing functional assessment, it's going to help you engage the family in planning and implementing for early intervention from those early interactions. And I think that that is so important. You know, for those of us that do early intervention, we do it all day, every day. But for families, they they don't know. I mean, some families, you're coming in to write an IFSP and they're still not really understanding what 
early intervention really is or why you're there or what is the, what is the purpose of the service. And so when we do functional assessment, it helps to pull them in. It helps to get them engaged. So when you do functional assessment, it's a way to really pull families in and get them to understand that I'm here to learn about you. I'm here to learn about you and your family. I'm here to help you help your child and kind of support and guide you going forward. One of the things that I love about what you said about how we're there to learn about the family and, and kind of take the whole context of the family in, in mind, I always think if if you truly just do a traditional assessment, you are setting, we're starting the relationship where the family is seeing the provider work with the child and the parents kind of sitting back and asking, answering questions. But that's not what intervention looks like, right? Then we expect families to switch around to where we're coaching them and they're actively participating in the visits and they're doing the work with the children with our support. So I feel like functional assessment, when we do a, when we do a good job of that at the beginning, we're actually setting the stage for better intervention because we're helping families see at the beginning, we really value and respect what they bring to the a relationship. We want to know what they're doing. We want to know what they want for their child. So we're helping them be active participants in their child service from the very beginning. And I, I love the idea of that starting at assessment or even earlier, certainly at intake, but but definitely at assessment. Yeah, I think also, you know, doing a functional assessment, it really helps you understand what is it that a family wants to work on. You know, um, my daughter, she came in, she had a motor delay. And like, if you'd asked me, what's her concern? My concern is I, I want her to walk, you know? Um, but really, if we had had more conversation and, and really thought about like, well, what is it that you want her to do? You know, my son is 17 months older. And so it was really hard for me that she couldn't, what I really ultimately wanted her to do is I wanted to be able to put her down at the front door and her walk into the house, walk into the living room, walk into the kitchen, walk down the hallway. I, I didn't care. But oftentimes when I would bring her in that extra step of having going into the living room or going into the kitchen and getting her settled because oftentimes I had to go back out to the car I had to go back out to get my son or I had to go back out to get more groceries or you know put the stroller away or or whatever it was and what would happen if I left her at the door is she would often back out the door and then the poor thing I would I would come back and my baby would be hanging out of the screen door because she oh, hadn't no. made it out in time <laughs> and here I am like oh my gosh I hope that neighbors don't see me as the lady with the baby hanging out the door. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, it's important to know that about families, that, that that's, that's really what they, what they want. And if, if I know that you're here to help me, like, what, you're going to help me make getting in from the grocery store or getting in from a walk easier? All right, sign me up. I, I'm on board. Like, this, this is really important. I think you hit it. It's such a good example. You hit it right on the head that the importance of gathering good information that goes beyond just even just the eligibility information, because you your example really laid it out to where we'd have information to write the outcome and we'd have direction to think about service delivery. And it all starts with the assessment questions and the information that was gathered to find out it really was more about her more more than just her learning to walk. I mean, that was probably your concern, but your priority for was to make that routine easier. And if if we get to that level, I feel like we're going to motivate families. Our relationship will be, um, be, the partnership will be better and we'll make a bigger difference. I think that's a great example. I'm glad you shared that. 
<laughs> Always happy to help with examples. I think someday my kids are going to be like, Mom, I can't believe you told people these things. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> yeah, my son, I had this whole slideshow of him with torta. He had torticollis. That's how he qualified just when he was about two months old. So a little head tilt, actually a big head tilted. Um, and I used to show all these pictures and he became quite horrified at that. So, <laughs> but you know, he's never going to, he'll have to get over that because he's still a, still a discussion for training. Um, but, right. you know, I appreciate what you're saying about being the parent receiving intervention can fundamentally change the way you view providing early intervention. It absolutely did for me. And I even think about with him, you know, that big head tilted, he could roll over at three days old. And I thought he was a genius when really he couldn't do anything else because that head was tilted and he over he went. But, you know, if you had asked me then, <clears throat> I was worried about his range of motion and all of the formal things we know as early interventionists, kids with torticollis need to be able to do. But when I look back at pictures, I worked so hard on just getting him to be able to follow me and watch me go across the room because he couldn't. He got to a point where his head wouldn't turn. So that was much more functional to me and, you know, making sure that he could roll both ways, things like that. But I, I just wanted him to be able to look around and play on both sides, even though I knew the terminology to use, you know, he needs full range of motion. It really comes down to like, what does the parent's heart say? Like, what do you really need for your child to be able to do? What will you celebrate that he's a when he's able to do? And some families might go, I don't know. But that's when we, we dig a little deeper, ask better questions, because um, the information is there. It's really on us to help families express it. So the components of functional assessment really are well represented in our field's recommended practices and principles. So now that we kind of understand what the research says, we understand why it's important. Let's talk a little bit about what are the components. The components that we're going to, I'm going to kind of lay out, we are also going to dig deeper into, um, into an additional episodes of the podcast series. So we're going to kind of touch on them right now, and then we'll kind of delve deeper into some of these ongoing. So what we know is that functional assessment, it's a collaborative process. And you you kind of just said it, that families might not know, but it's our job as EI providers to then continue to to ask questions and, and dig deeper and help families understand what information we're really looking for. Um, it's ongoing in nature. It occurs across time. It's not a single snapshot. Functional assessment really does kind of need to happen ongoing all the time. It gathers information through observation, asking meanif- meaningful questions, and really actively listening. Um, the information is going to be gathered in naturally occurring activities in multiple situations and settings. It's really important to understand what what can kids do at home that maybe they can't do at daycare or how come she can do it on Wednesdays when grandpa watches her, but she can't do it when dad comes home from work. Um, It really involves putting all of this information together to create a picture of the child's strengths, their needs, what's meaningful to them, making sure that things are really individualized, and then what's useful in developing and implementing the IFSP. And it's, you know, I think from a, a parent perspective, you you want to have that individualized IFSP that really is focused on 
your child and your family. It, it, it really does honestly help with that engagement of services. And then lastly, it really focuses, focuses on interactions and abilities in everyday life. And what we know about the birth to three population is that's where kids and they learn best. They learn best in um, everyday life with the people that they spend their time with. So one of the good things about functional assessment is it helps us um, to help families address their concerns and priorities. And once we know what they we, they really want their child to do, do rather than just focusing on what they can't do, um, it's going to give us really good information and develop a um, strong intervention plan. Kind of like what, what I just talked about. You know, my concern for my child was that she wasn't walking, but my priority was like, I really need this routine of going in the house to be better. This is not working for us. You know, another example I can give too is um, she used to spend a lot of time. We, I love going to the park. I love to be outside with my kids. I would much rather be outside sort of playing than inside playing. It's just the way that I like to interact with them. I like to get fresh air. We always like to go see different playgrounds, but to be honest with you, and I used to like hate to admit this, is she used to spend a lot of time in, in the stroller. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't get her out. And it was really hard. And when I did get her out, you know, she used to army crawl on her belly. And so that it meant like her clothes got all dirty. And then right. inevitably, she would always pull up on the slide. And then someone would come down the slide and knock her down. And she was like a tiny little peanut. And so you know, again, my concern was like her, her motor skills, but my priority is like, I have a 17 month old who's running around like a madman at the playground. And I have this child (laughs) in a stroller who I know needs to get out of the stroller, but I just can't figure out how to get her out of the stroller. Um, and, and, you know, if we think about planning for services and having a strong intervention plan, you know, increasing her motor skills versus, you know, helping me keep my children happy and safe in a way that makes sense for everybody at the playground. We're really focusing on very different things. Well, you're also, if the intervention provider is helping you be able to get her out of the stroller, keep her safe and move around, that's opening up learning opportunities that she might not have by staying in the stroller. And as a mom, you were probably completely aware of that, but a lot of times we're just not sure what to do. So if that intervention provider is helping open up a new, an activity that's more available to that child, gosh, that's, that's so awesome for development, not only for her motor skills, but for just being a part of what you and your son are doing, you know, the, the different things she gets to see from a different point of view, lots of different things could be happening there that could be helping her and hopefully helping you. Yeah. So, you know, functional assessment, it's it's strengths-based. We're going to take a positive approach to really facilitating the child's development. We're going to start with how is the child developing within the context of their family, and it's going to set the stage for how EI providers are going to help families support that development in every day, just like what we talked about at, at my example in the playground. So ongoing functional assessment is then going to continue throughout the intervention so that we're making our best efforts to build the whole family's capacity and support the child. And that's, that's really powerful stuff. Definitely. 
Well, I think that leads us to where we're going next time. So we've provided you guys with kind of an overview of functional assessment and talked about some great examples that we hope are helping you connect the dots with what this really means. We're going to dig into one of the components next time. Our next episode, we'll talk about observation and what that looks like for early interventionists. So you might think you're doing it in written reality. I think we often aren't observing enough or maybe as much as we could be. Um, It's almost hard to not to sit on your hands and have to sit back a little bit and observe instead of jump right in. So we're going to talk about observing during evaluation. We'll talk about how to talk to parents about observing. So observation, so they know what to expect and why you're doing it. And then we'll talk about what to do during observation. Like, for instance, keeping our judgments out of the mix, which can also be a challenge too. So we'll talk about how it feels to just be observing. And sometimes that can feel like, well, I'm not really doing anything. But in fact, you're doing something really important. So we'll talk about why observation is so important and what to look for more than just whether a child can perform specific tasks or not. So we hope you'll join us for our next podcast um, where we'll reflect on observation as a component of functional assessment. So thanks for listening today and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye. Bye.